थैंक यू सो सो मच फॉर जॉइनिंग अस ऑन द फीमेल्स एंड मोर स्पोर्ट पॉडकास्ट आई एम सो स्टोक्ड टू हैव यू ऑन द शो Thank you very much for having me up me on. I know we've tried to do this a couple of times and my schedule has not allowed. So sorry, but finally we are making it work ahead of the 24 season. So I'm very happy to be here. Oh my god, please don't apologize. I can't even imagine <laughs> what your schedule is like. Um I know that last year you were I think you were there like almost all of the races last year if not all. Uh, 17 or 18 I think 18 but Imola didn't happen sadly so 17 on site yeah so pretty intense schedule and then on top of that I've got extreme e as well so mm-hmm. yeah it's um it's pretty full on that's for sure yeah I hope you've had a restful winter break I have I've actually done nothing in January so far which I am absolutely loving I'm doing all the wholesome January things but also just having time off and time to myself and seeing friends for sort of the one time of the year that I can and <laughs> all of that stuff but it is it's good it's really nice to just yeah it's like take some time out as you say and and breathe and remember why you do it all and why you love it and I'm actually now I cannot wait to get going again so it's been a very good break Oh, I'm so excited for you. I'm excited for the 2024 season. So I know you've been in sports journalism for quite a while before F1. You've covered rugby, rowing, and I think I believe you're a rower yourself. Yeah, yeah. Itch. I don't know. I can't even really row anymore. <laughs> was, well, I was. Yeah. I can't even row in the gym. So you're do- you're <laughs> doing way better than I am. Um, but I kind of wanted to start with you know just the presence of women in the sports journalism space because mm-hmm. I do think it's growing. You know, year over year, I see it in other sports as well. especially in the US but i kind of wanted to get your take on what do you think women in general um bring to the sports journalism space yeah it's a good question um i think i think firstly a diverse voice right we offer a different voice to perhaps a typical male voice that previously you would have heard in a male dominated space like sport has typically been i do think though kind of since 2012 or so when we first really started having these really important conversations we are seeing this change and change a lot and i'm really glad to see that um i don't know whether women offer anything in particular that men can't offer i kind of often feel that it's it's people and personalities mm. right you can have a super warm empathetic um sensitive male voice and equally a female voice that may have what people would typically assume are male attributes. Mm-hmm. Um I feel like the masculine feminine thing um kind of boxes people in. So I think different people bring different attributes, different voices, different ways of working to the role. And I think that's why diversity in the industry and in these spaces and in Formula 1 is so important that we do have such a wealth of voices contributing. Yeah, I think that totally makes sense, especially when you think about I like what you said about like not boxing people in. Yeah. Because uh I think sp- female drivers feel this way all the time, especially because you know just because they're drivers, they often um you know, you often think that they would be a little bit more quote unquote masculine. Um and I think right. sometimes they feel like they need to hide the femininity. So, I think it kind of tracks that that would carry over to the journalism space as well. where you could be you know beautiful and fabulous and still have a very strong voice or what would somebody consider a male attribute um usually yeah i really re- reject gender stereotyping and the stereotypes that box men in and make men believe they have to be strong and tough and not show emotion and not be vulnerable and not be sensitive and equally those gender stereotypes which make women seem small and silly and um femininity just being something frivolous that isn't important and I, i really reject those things as a whole i think that's what can really pit men and women against each other mm-hmm. and i think that isn't the answer to to any of this to a female dominated space to a male dominated space it's not about men versus women and it should never be and i think those stereotypes can just be at best so boring so yeah. boring and at worst really damaging and really dangerous and kind of like the linchpin on which i think a patriarchal society that we mm-hmm. obviously are all you know we do live in um can really thrive so i think just making sure that people are just taken on face value as they are as they are and their gender isn't the forefront of what we see is really important like i just want to be a great reporter a great journalist yeah. a great broadcaster 
I don't want to be a good female broadcaster. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be a good journalism, a journalist because I'm a woman or for a woman. I don't want to be seen as like, she's a good reporter for a woman. It's great that we've got a woman in this space. I just want to be upfront, great at what I do and keep striving to be better and better and not let my gender be a barrier to that, Mm -hmm. a reason for that, a cause to that. It kind of like, not that I don't want to talk about it because obviously I'm here on this podcast and we're talking about these things that are issues within the industry. But I I also don't want to talk about it. I want to talk about the brilliant people that we have working Mm -hmm. in the industry. I want to talk about um, the issues that we are seeing um, and bigger issues. I I just don't want the gender of my gender or other genders to be the forefront of what we see in people. Uh, I think we're all so much more than that. Yeah, and I think, you know, it can also be a little bit of an additional pressure point for a lot of people. I remember seeing this interview with Jamie Chadwick where she said that sometimes it can be, you know, like an additional pressure that she doesn't need, that she feels like she has to, you know, just be the best because she's the uh, arguably the most popular female driver right now. Which, yeah. you know, it's just, you don't really need that. You know, you don't really need to be um, justifying why you deserve to have space in this world is because you're 100%. a woman. You know, you can just take space like, like anybody else. It doesn't have to be because you're a woman. So I feel like it's a very nuanced conversation but I get where you're coming from where gender should not be the first thing that you're seeing because I think that also adds that pressure and that also adds that additional layer like oh is she there because she's a woman which obviously you know is is not the case for many of us but unfortunately we get hit with that so many times yeah I think that this is the thing isn't it we don't want to talk about it but unfortunately we are perhaps still in Mm -hmm. an environment and in an age where it is still a talking point. I just wish that the talking we do is is in how we do our jobs. Um, and I get what Jamie Chadwick was was saying mm-hmm. in that if you make a mistake as a female broadcaster, mm-hmm. you're not just slipping up. You're not just saying the wrong name or mispronouncing something or saying the wrong result. It's a mistake that can give people the ammunition to say, well, this is why we shouldn't have a woman doing the job because obviously yeah. she can't do it. And it almost feels sometimes, especially when I first started out, that you're kind of broadcasting on behalf of all women, that if you make a mistake, it's a detriment to everybody else. Whereas if a, a male colleague makes a mistake, they've just made a mistake and that's fine yeah. because that's we're all completely human and everyone makes mistakes. And my goodness me, I make mistakes. Um, yeah. But it's kind of how you learn from them and move on from them. And, and sometimes it is literally just because you are live in the moment, a million voices in your ear, on a grid and you yeah. might say the wrong position your grid position or the wrong name it's it's totally human but yeah there is that pressure that when you're a woman you have to prove yourself and I mm-hmm. think there's the saying Karen Brady said it that um you have to work twice as hard as a woman to be taken half as seriously yeah. and to an extent I certainly have felt that in my career um and I I still, I don't know if I continue to feel it now that I feel, a, a, you know, a, a bit more established. Um, mm. But I think I've taken it within myself to think, okay, you may have to work twice as hard, but that means you're going to be twice as good. Mm-hmm. And it's about therefore bettering myself and striving to be better. Like I'm so ambitious and yeah. competitive with myself. Like nothing's ever good enough, which is a blessing and a curse, I guess. But it's, <laughs> it's always pushing me to want to do a better job. Um, and yeah, to keep fighting for that uh, professionally and personally within how I work. So, yeah. Yeah. And I can imagine, I feel like for a job like presenting or broadcast, you can always see how you did. I don't know. Do you, do you <laughs> go back and see how you did or do you not like to see yourself I, on TV? Oh, I really don't like to. And everyone's like, you really should. Because obviously, <laughs> firstly, it's never, in my experience of doing it, it's never, ever, ever as bad as you think it is. Mm-hmm. Even when you've made one of those horrible mistakes and then you watch it back. There was a, It was a funny one I did this season where I literally forgot the name or I didn't even forget. I knew both of my pundits' names but what I didn't, what I didn't realize was that they had the same surname, and it was though in the moment on air, it dawned on me they had the same surname, and you can visibly see my face just suddenly click, <laughs> and the throw is like deranged, right? But then I watched it back when I did it. I was like, that was terrible, terrible television. And then you watch it back, and nobody would have known but no, the people who knew that I was yeah. having a meltdown internally um, and stuff like that. So yeah, I. I I should watch back more, especially if I'm feeling like I haven't done a good job because 
often it will be, as I say, better than you think it is. Um, but equally on showreel day, where I kind of put a showreel together for the year, I do have to sit there and do like like hours and hours of watching myself. Yeah. Um, and you can be super, super hypercritical of yourself. Yeah. And I guess that's a good learning platform to do things better and and to see what what went right and what could be what could be improved. But um, yeah, it can be uncomfortable at times. <laughs> you don't feel very good about yourself sometimes after hours of watching yourself. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine because it's one of those things where you know what you were thinking when no one else does, but yeah. it's just one of those things where also you have no control over it, you know, so it's like, I, I, I kind of get it. Although I do have to ask about this oh, in no. Vegas. It's the Blue Man Group. I knew it was coming. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, if I were you, yeah, I think I would have collapsed. <laughs> I almost genuinely did. Basically, I was in the flow. And the thing is, it was a pre-practice show, right? Mm-hmm. So we have 10 minutes, like it's super short, it's super quick. And as lead, I've got my pundits next to me, Hinch, Lawrence and and Will. And we were talking, I'm the one who has to get the count right into Mm -hmm. the commentary, into the, you have to get all that right. You've got a voice in your ear the whole time. So I'm just, I'm like, I love doing that. That kind of gives me the big buzz. But (laughs) I suddenly was aware of the presence behind me. Yeah. And I don't know what I anticipated, but it was not, the blue men and I think the worst thing is everyone's like do you do you not know who they were I had no idea of their thing their shtick I'd never seen them before not a clue sorry that's really ignorant of me anyway so they they apparently had like given eyes to our floor producer to be like we're going in and he was like do not go in and they went in anyway and then obviously um if you haven't seen the clip uh it's out there um what ensued ensued I had somewhat of a mild panic attack it seemed on air um, I think it was a combination of second to last race of the season, mm. jet lag, exhaustion, delirium, because it was midnight, uh, yeah. hysteria. Uh, it wasn't midnight, it was 10, a- 10 p.m. I think or something. Anyway, um, and <laughs> when I came off air, I was still shaking and I couldn't yeah. stop it. And I think I also started panicking because I knew I was live. And so I was like, you need to stop because you yeah. need to stop. You're live, you stop. And, I, and then the panic sets in further because you're live mm. and you're and then it was just like I panicked about panicking and then it was so funny it was only in good jest as well like I yeah, like yeah. there was no bad feeling about it but then I came off air looked at my phone and my phone had absolutely blown up and oh I was like god. oh god and like it had been clipped on Twitter and people are like can someone please check on Laura her soul just left her body live on air all of this stuff and then like it was written up in some of the UK papers and it just yeah. seemed to go viral and it was yeah um that was probably <laughs> that's the worst I've ever ever in my life lost it um but luckily it was a funny one and not necessarily a chaotic yeah. well it was chaotic but. I think for me at least I was like oh my god like if I was her I think I would have either be- reacted the same way or worse because I didn't really know about um the the the, uh, the group either and I find clowns and masks and you know they're very terrifying. professional obviously they have a straight face and oh, it's terrifying. just you, you just you know you don't know also because you know I mean I would imagine that, you know, you see somebody who catches themselves on TV, they'll smile or something like that. When yes. you see somebody with a blue face and just straight looking at you like that, yeah. I just, I would not know what to do. No, it was honestly, and they, yeah, the clowns and masks are not my thing either. And it Same. was, yeah, it was terrifying. terrifying. Well, I do think as, as somebody who saw it, I was like, oh my God, like, is she okay in the sense that like oh my god that would have been really scary if I was her um and I hope there was no like negativity around that for you because that would have been really bad so going back to the original conversation just about you know um like you were saying that how women sometimes have to work twice as hard it kind of makes me think a little bit about the grooming gap and you know there is this world where women have to you know and not even on media but in general you know have to be a lot more put together even just generally in the corporate world do you ever feel that way about just being in media and being on broadcast that you have to look a certain way and be a certain way and groom yourself a certain way where you have this additional pressure that men don't have there are times where we have to get up at 7 30 a.m right for me that means like that could be 6 or 6 30 of me having to do you know wash my hair therefore I have to dry my hair and do my Mm -hmm. hair and I take a lot of my stuff to track and do it kind of throughout the day as well um but obviously yeah there are times where I'm like I can't go to the gym because then I'll get my hair really sweaty and then I'll have to Mm -hmm. wash my hair and then and that's not something that my male colleagues necessarily 
generalizing a bit, but generally have to deal with, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think the pressures to look a certain way and um, to wear makeup and to have my hair a certain way and to dress a certain way, they undoubtedly come from within outside. Mm-hmm. But equally, I feel like they they come from within as well. Because mm-hmm. other people would look at me and look at a photo of me or look at a video and be like, you look amazing. And I'd be like, I look awful. Are you joking? I look terrible. Look at this awful spot on my face and look at this. So it's kind of like an internal pressure to look a certain way and to reach a certain standard as well. And it almost feels to me like if I'm if I don't feel my best and I won't perform yeah. uh, my best. Um, and that's, I guess it's, it is part of, again, women, women having to look a certain way, isn't it? Um, I kind of feel it more from within though. And I have to say that no, no male colleague or male manager or boss or producer or director or anybody has ever said to me, you, you're not, you don't look the right way. You're not wearing mm-hmm. enough makeup or too much makeup. Your hair doesn't look good. Like, I don't think certainly the ones I work with, they don't care in that sense. They mm-hmm. kind of just want you to do the best job you can do. Um, and I think the only comment I've ever had to say, you know, doesn't look like your makeup is finished was actually from a woman. <laughs> in the I believe I like, that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Thank you. I'll go and just touch that up then. So it's not something that comes from my male colleagues or indeed from any male directors or producers um, at all. Um, but it undoubtedly does exist. And it, mm-hmm. you know, and I think I have to say though, equally, there is a pressure on men to look a certain way for sure. And I know that, um, don't read the comments, but of course we occasionally see comments and my, my male counterparts definitely get, you know, comments about how they look, their appearance, Mm. how they physically appear. Um, it may not be as many as I get. Um, and I guess, again, that is part of being a woman in, in media and in the limelight and it shouldn't be, but it is. But, um, I think it's, it's a conversation, a wider conversation about social media commentary and, and how we behave online and the commentary, the comments yeah. that, and the trolls um, that can exist within sport and within Formula One um, as much as it is about the grooming gap. I think I do know, of course, that, yeah, I spend longer getting ready. I have to do more to my hair. Um, I am typically quite like low maintenance though and I can get ready <laughs> I've learned to get ready exceptionally quickly yeah. for things um and I can curl my hair in about seven minutes so I kind wow. of have found a way of like getting you know getting through it and, and doing it um but it is yeah look it's a pressure that perhaps men don't necessarily feel yeah um I would still say though that men certainly have a pressure to look a certain way as well. Certainly men in the limelight in, in vision mm-hmm. and they'll, they will feel that and there, there will be commentary about that. And I think, you know, that's a wider conversation then about, about trolls that exist within, yeah. um, within social media. Um, and yeah, how people like to target how we look, because obviously that's the first thing you see is yeah. what we're wearing, how we look, how tired we are that day, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Do you think the trolling has gotten worse in the past few years, especially maybe since the sport has picked up a little bit? Um, I don't know. It's difficult for me to answer that. Personally, the trolling or the sort of this kind of comments and messaging that I received when I first started, Mm -hmm. it is so much better now. I have so many... Yeah, it's so much nicer. It's it's so it's almost as though it has taken a few years, but I've been kind of accepted, mm. and the fan base that we seem to have like me, and they feel that I'm now a part of Formula One. And I think it's kind of speaks to audiences and and people not particularly liking change. And I was a change when I first came in, right? And you have to get used to a new mm-hmm. person. And I've seen comments like that, right? They kind of think it's a a compliment they're like I wasn't sure about her at first and now she's great and I'm like oh, it's kind of you just don't need to say it just don't yeah. say anything um, <laughs> um but I think yeah look as in a wider context as Formula One has obviously got more fans involved and equally I think we went through a period certainly after the 21 season where it became a, very toxic in terms mm-hmm. of the fan bases and in terms of um you know you were either on one side or another and Hamilton v Verstappen, Red Bull mm. v Mercedes. 
and we saw this real kind of toxicity between the fan base, which which I really didn't like. Um, and you can still see elements of that now. I think healthy debate, of course, is important. I think holding a yes. sport to account is super important. We obviously encourage all of that kind of talk, but then the sort of abuse, that's, that's not ideal. Um, yeah. And when it's directed at us for doing our jobs, um, and we always try and do them with respect and, and in the best way possible, then yeah, it's super tricky. But um, I think for me personally, um, the commentary certainly has, has changed somewhat, which is lovely, but it, you know, you don't, I don't pin my worth as a broadcaster on mm-hmm. to that because I know how quickly it can change. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it, what matters to me is kind of what, you know, obviously I want an audience who are watching F1 TV to love what we're doing. Like we love putting it on for them and to really feel part of that. But yeah. the negative comments I kind of will accept from the people around me and, and my bosses, but I guess, yeah, on social media, you've got to take it all with a bit of a pinch of salt. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're right. Social media sentiment can change very, very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so hard to like predict. And also I think it's a really healthy to have that that boundary where you know you're not either you're reading too many comments or you're making that boundary for yourself or you're not taking it too seriously um because I mean I can imagine being in the limelight it can get you know really really tricky it can maybe impact you in a certain way um since I started doing the podcast I remember the first negative comment I got well the first negative comment I got I actually felt really cool I was like oh yay somebody doesn't like me <laughs> the hate gone. I've made the it the hate is gone like I feel like I oh wow I, I'm really like you know some people are actually watching who don't like it I kind of reshaped it for myself because I was like um you just can't attach your um worth to other people who don't really know you don't really know the hard work you're putting into it um some people just want to hit to hit um and you know it's just so much easier to type something negative than something positive i feel unfortunately today and you also remember the negative ones as well so you could have 99 comments saying i love this podcast mandy and you'd have the one that's negative or rude or whatever and look constructive criticism is always you know yeah that's that's fine we can all accept that but when it's just downright nasty um yeah there's no there's no place for it but we remember it unfortunately human beings yeah. our egos um cling to the negative so um yeah I'm sorry that you got that but I guess um it's a rite of passage and also it kind of means you're doing something right because um if you're if you're bland within this space and you kind of try and please everyone and remain a bit vanilla and mm-hmm. not quite yourself then you may not get much negative commentary but you probably won't get much positive either so Mm. it's kind of about being yourself and look not everyone is going to like you that's that's just one of those things in life every everybody in every walk of life so it's it's about staying true to you because you can't keep up a pretense for that long no it's totally true you everybody should not like you if everybody does like you something is not right there yeah (laughs) yeah absolutely um so I know of course you mentioned like with the trolling and everything but it's become a little bit more positive I do have to ask though like since Drive to Survive and since F1 has kind of blown up a little bit do you feel like you get recognized personally a lot more than you were before yeah (laughs) this this season and kind of halfway through 22 as well I was a bit like oh whoa you know you'd come to an airport and there'd be people there who recognize you yeah and that still feels like I still feel a little bit like an imposter with that I'm still Mm -hmm. like no you you don't like can I have your autograph on this I'm like no you this is a like a Mercedes cap that is worth a lot of money and you do not want me to ruin this um but it's a really it will only ever be a really lovely thing that is incredibly humbling and I'm incredibly grateful for and I love meeting people when I'm at races and saying hello and doing you know having a photo and whatever else and actually the really meaningful interactions are where fans come up to me I remember one fan I wish I could remember her name but um she sent me an Instagram message afterwards she caught me on the corner leaving Kota um uh circuit of the americas at the u.s grand prix and Mm -hmm. she was basically saying i just want to say thank you so much because um you're the reason that i've taken on um a journalism course that i'm doing a degree in in broadcast journalism journalism you're the reason i want to be a reporter like i'm this is the step i'm taking because i'm looking up to Mm -hmm. to you and to people like you in the industry and i was like oh my 
this, the level of responsibility that I, yeah. <laughs> like this is shaping someone's life but that is equally amazing because I remember yeah. when I was younger looking up to women in the industry here in the UK the likes of Claire Balding, Gabby mm-hmm. Logan, Jill Douglas these women who've been around for so many years and then of course women in F1 as well Natalie Pinkham, Rachel Brooks mm-hmm. who you see um and have been on television and have walked the walk, taught the talk. They know exactly what they're doing. And yeah, you, you kind of, you can't, you can't be it if you can't see it. And I think yeah. it's, it's, for me, it's lovely to know that I have offered a level of representation there and that, you know, what I'm doing is, is being well received and, and they're always amazing kind of, yeah, I, I'm very humbled by them. I get, yeah. I don't even know. How, I can't take a compliment very well. So I'm like, oh, yeah, get all yeah, good. yeah. <laughs> I think that's also like such a, actually, I don't know if it is, but I actually feel I can't take a compliment well either. And I yeah. see a lot of women feel that way because I, I don't know. I just feel like it's, I don't know what it is, but I do definitely feel it's that. You feel arrogant saying, oh, thank yeah. you. So you agree with like their compliment. Right. I always yeah. say, oh, thank you. But oh my God, this is, you know, this is, and this is bad and this is wrong. And, and it's just, yeah. we should learn to say thank you. Yeah, and accept it, and like you know, yeah, believe it also. But yeah, it's exactly. it's it feels. Yeah, I think you're right. It just feels like you know, am I being arrogant by saying like, thank you? Yeah, but yeah, um, I do have a story for you actually. I yes. saw you in Coda. I was there in the F1 Academy paddock. Um, oh, yes, I saw you on I think that Saturday or maybe it was Sunday. I think it was a Sunday. Yeah. Um, and you were walking in front of me. Firstly, I did not know how tall you were. Um, you wearing heels. You were wearing white heels. Yes, heels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you were really tall. Also, you were standing next to like three or four people who were visibly much shorter than you. So maybe that's why. Um, (laughs) But I remember seeing you and I was with a bunch of other girls who are like smaller F1 content creators. And I went to meet them at the bar. And I'm never somebody who would come up to you or anybody else because I would be like, you're not working right now. I'm not going to come and bother you. Oh, you should have done. You know, you should have done. But no, anyway. I would hate to bother somebody like when they're like, you know, just <laughs> no, chilling, course. having, you know, a drink. And I have to tell you, all the girls got so excited looking at you. They were all like, oh my God, did you see Laura Winter just walked in here? And I was like, I know, I saw she was walking in front of me entering the bar. And they were all just so pumped to see you. They were like, oh my God, she looks amazing. I think you're wearing a pink dress. They were like, oh my God, yeah, I love her dress. Through. I was like, out, out. <laughs> She, they all were just like loving seeing you and it it really did make me, and we were that time already in conversation about the podcast Mm. and it really made me think like, oh my God, I'm so excited to talk to you and tell you the story. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I already wanted to flex this lovely compliment, but I'm just going to do, as we said, thank you. That's very, that's very lovely to hear. And you should have said hello. You all should have said hello. I'd have loved to have met you properly in person. Oh, well, maybe next time, but it was really, really fantastic. Um, It was really cool to see that because I feel like also with other fans, I mean, you know, I usually watch F1 alone at home because none of my friends are into F1. Um, (laughs) Is that a work in progress for you? You're trying to get them in? I am. Like my roommate has reached the point where she watches Drive to Survive, but she doesn't watch anything else. That's like, that's like the gateway. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of get it because it's like a three-hour race almost sometimes. Mm. F1 races aren't always like, you know, super competitive. So I kind of get it. Like, I feel like you have to be really, really, um, you know, understand like uh, why you like the sport to be able to watch sure. like ev- almost every Sunday. So I kind of get it. But uh, yeah, it is a work in progress. Um <laughs> But yeah, it, it was just nice to see other fans to be like, you know, okay, like we kind of have that shared respect for someone like you or for some for, some, for like other broadcasters and be able to you know, have that experience um, together. So yeah, it was really cool. That's great. Thank you. That's really sweet. Thank you so much. I've always wondered this question. So yeah. when you're interviewing drivers or team principals, is there like a specific formula or technique that you know you're like okay you have to ask a b and c or like a checklist in your head that you go through when you're preparing for an interview yeah there is it's a really good question actually and I, I really enjoy talking about or thinking about like the way in which you construct these interviews because mm-hmm. it's really important because you can get great answers from somebody or you can get not so good answers if mm-hmm. depending on the question you ask how you ask it how you frame the conversation how you allow it to flow so I think I think first of all Um, A nice open question to start is really important because fundamentally, if somebody is in a not so great mood or a very talkative mood, either way, they are going to basically say what they want to say um, Mm -hmm. to you. Let's say you're speaking to Christian Horner and Max Verstappen's just picked up a record win or whatever. Mm -hmm. He will say what he wants to say. And Christian's very good at 
steering a conversation <laughs> like that. And so your thoughts on that or sum that up for us, that's kind of a nice opener because um, it, ena- it enables them to say what they want to say. I always then in my head, I have I have like a number of questions lined up mm-hmm. that I want to ask. Um, but it's really important too. And it's very difficult when you first start because you're you're thinking about your next question and how you're going to ask it when you also should be listening mm-hmm. to the answer to the question before because they may be saying something unbelievably important they may be saying well we can't believe max on that because his radio broke and he had no drink and it could be something crazy and i'm thinking about well i need to ask about sergio perez next and mm-hmm. i'm missing all of this really important information so listening to the answers is really important having questions backed up because if you have a driver or a tp who is not in a good mood they may give you short answers Mm. and you need to be ready to kind of counter back to them quite quickly um because i can tell you that even if the dead space between their answer and a question is five seconds it feels like an eternity when you're live so just making sure you've kind of covered all those bases for yourself is important as well um i think the who what when where why is really important Mm. as well um to sort of say okay you know how what, where, why, you know, and just covering that kind of questioning that um, is really important within journalism. I always try and round off an interview by looking ahead as well. I think Mm -hmm. it's nice to, you know, I was taught that within journalism, that you kind of start by kind of getting their initial thoughts, summarizing the hows and the whys of what mm-hmm. happened, the impl- then looking ahead to the implications of what happened and then throwing it forward. So perhaps looking ahead to the next race or perhaps looking forward to the evening ahead of them, how they may celebrate, just little things like that and drawing on personality as well and and um, you know, picking up on body language mm-hmm. and, and developing that relationship. And that happens over time, but just understanding who you're speaking to and, and how they're how they're interacting with you and how that may differ depending on the result and depending on how they're feeling that day as well. Picking up on those nuances while also being live and making sure you've got your <laughs> camera position right and your microphone position right. It's, there's a lot going on and it becomes yeah. more simple and more natural as you get further into, you know, yeah. doing it. But um, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of it. It's sort of um, always making sure that you have the, a general opener just to get into it allow them to say what they want to say and then delve a bit deeper and think about the hows and the whys. Yeah. Um, that's really important as well. And, and, and cover as much as you can to, you know, um, within a team. And I always, it's so important as well as certainly within Formula One to make sure that if you're speaking about one driver, you counter with the next driver as well. And, mm. um, and making sure that, yeah, like I say, you're, you're giving them the opportunity to talk about all facets of what's mm. happened um, rather than kind of going down one line of questioning. Yeah. Um, and working with with Formula One as well, we um, we ask the tough questions, of course, but we we do so with an, with an element of respect always. And yeah. I really try and, and do that. Like I I you know I know we have to ask difficult questions sometimes about mm-hmm. contracts, about poor performances, whatever it may be. But yeah, we we try and do so with um with respect for sure. Yeah. Now that you've been in F1 and in the paddock for a few years now, do you think that familiarity makes it a little bit easier to develop those relationships with the drivers and TPs and get a little bit more um, out of your questioning? Yeah, for sure. It does. Um, Yeah, time is definitely um, really important. and, And I think it helps develop not just the relationship, but also respect as well. And once you've done an interview a number of times with the team principal, they know what they're getting when you come to them. They respect, well, I hope <laughs> they respect your line of questioning and, and what you're asking and why you're asking it. Um, and they feel a bit more comfortable speaking mm-hmm. to you. They know that you're not going to come with something unexpected. They know that you're not going to, um, you know, look to throw a curveball yeah. or catch them off guard. Um, and so, yeah, I think there is an element that it's, it is a case of time, time in the paddock, FaceTime with people, talking to as many people as you can, talking to the team's press teams as well, because obviously mm. they are the conduit between the team principal mm-hmm. and yourself. And so making sure that that relationship is solid is also really yeah. important and worth spending a lot of time on too. So I love paddock hopping, getting coffees <laughs> with them. They're all brilliant, who work, brilliant yeah. people who work incredibly hard as well. Um, but yeah, familiarity and... Um, and really, and just 
you know, putting the time in, putting it, the effort in to get to know them um, is, yeah, really important. Do you have a favorite race session you like to cover? Because for me, I'm not going to say as a fan, my favorite race session of the weekend is always quali. Um, because mm-hmm. I just feel like you really see the cars at the limits. Um, yeah. And usually, you know, it's obviously shorter. You're more at the edge of your seat for me personally. But do you have one that you like just love to cover from a journalist perspective? Qualifying as well, actually. Yeah. I really, really enjoy qualifying. I love the different stories that can come out of it. I love the shocks, um, surprise exits, the surprise qualifiers. Um I think the fight for pole, as you say, they're just dancing on the limit of what is possible physically, mechanically, emotionally, mentally. I think that is such a privilege to be able to watch. I think I look back on Monaco of this year Mm -hmm. and no, wait, last, you know what I mean? Last season. I mean, that qualifying was, I don't think the best of the year. It's one of the best I've ever seen Mm -hmm. ever. I think even those who've watched Formula One for a number of years agreed that it was one of the best qualifying sessions. just extraordinary to watch and there were a couple more as well that were up there and you know the it's the jeopardy isn't it that's what we all love the thrill and kind of making sure you get your banker lap in early in q3 in Mm -hmm. case someone crashes and you know alex albon i think it was um oh i want to say canada my memory is not very good i need everything written down um when he uh, made sure he got that lap in in q2 and he went to the top of q2 and then it rained and then everyone and then you know the surprise exits and then he's made it through and it just it's so good it's so exciting so equally i love um like I said, the different stories that can come out of it as well. And then post quali show, getting some of that reaction mm. or talking through kind of each quali, each Q1, Q2, Q3, and really trying to like ex- understand the flow and the narrative of, yeah. of what happened and what went wrong for some, what went right for others. Mm. Um, and when you see kind of like the top 10 separated by 0.3 or something, it's just like, wow, is this possible? This is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been really good this year qualifying. I've really enjoyed it. I mean, look, yeah. race day is what it's about, but I totally. think there is something something very special about qualifying that always makes me very nervous beforehand. <laughs> I get very jangly and I get a lot of adrenaline. I love watching it. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, I also feel like how much time do you guys have to put together the post-quali show? Because oh, obviously for me, no. <laughs> I'm watching it right after, like at the at the yeah. top of the hour. And I always think this, because, uh, you know, when quali ends, of course, like you said, there's so many stories you can see, you know, whether it's like an, another Charles Leclerc poll or like a surprise Lewis Hamilton poll. There's so much you can talk about. And obviously you were doing interviews and everything, but h- how do you put together everything so quickly? So I will always make notes. So let's say say I'm hosting Mm post-quali. I'll always make notes through Q1, Q2, and Q3. So I'll have like my cue card written down. I have one side, I'll have Q1. And I have 16 to 20 there, the drivers who came Mm. out. And then I'll have next to their names, I'll write down what might have gone wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, If something happened, um, if they said something on the team radio. And then underneath that, I'll have some of the talking points throughout that Q1 that we may bring in to our show. I'll then do the same for Q2 and then Q3. That's where you don't have as much time. So you kind of, I tend to, depending on where the office is and where we're watching from, I tend to kind of um, watch the first runs in the office and then like leg it out while they're in the pits and then get back into position Mm. for our show, watching big screen or our return monitor in the paddock and then yeah we can watch obviously the final runs and making sure that we know you know all of the stories and everything that's happened but you undoubtedly miss stuff in that kind of movement from Mm -hmm. being um you know uh watching on television to then moving to your position you've got commentary all the time but there's there's very often things that you may miss and so it's about listening to those interviews I also must say we have the most amazing team back at base as well in the UK. Um, producer Joe, for those who watch F1 TV, um, and director Tom, and they are both so on it. And they, Joe, will like rarely miss anything, and she's the one who then steers the editorial through the show. So we have time through qualifying, and then suddenly no time after Q3. You're kind of like, basically, they do the interviews, and then they throw back straight to us. So you have no time really to formulate any sort of structured show. Yeah. Um, you have a loose structure, but you don't know what's who's going to be pole, what's going to have happened. Yeah. And um, but that's that's the nature of sport. I think yeah. it's live. It's live, 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 and you have no 
you know control over what's going yeah. to happen you can't predict anything that's why I love it that's like what makes you feel really alive yeah um I really enjoy post quality because it's probably a little bit more structured than let's say post race because you do have the qualifying one two and three to talk mm-hmm. through um but it's all very much live chaotic good fun <laughs> I have to say, I think F1 TV is probably one of the best pieces of sports programming in terms of Thank like you you know, pre-show and post-show. I just think that, like you were saying, with F1, you know, it's it's one of those things where such little people will ever get to experience like, you know, a, a car like that. I mean, nobody's ever going to get to experience that outside these 20 drivers at one given point. Yeah. So, you know, the, the access that we have as fans or the communication that we have is all through you guys and I think you obviously guys are doing a great job in terms of you know oh, thank you. telling all these different stories around quality and race day and everything and I can't I can't imagine that it's very easy because um I think F1 is also one of those sports that's very guarded um so I can only imagine that it makes life a little bit more difficult and challenging for you but um I do think F1 TV is probably one of the smartest decisions I've ever made and you guys obviously do a great job in the execution oh though. thank you so much I yeah. appreciate that um yeah we love we love what we do and we love creating um, an atmosphere on air that we hope makes people feel like they're part of our gang watching it with us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. Um, some of the best advice I was given early on as a broadcaster was stop trying to be a presenter, just mm-hmm. be yourself. Because if you're trying to present and you're trying to do a, speak and be in a certain way, you're not you and you're not relaxed. And the best broadcast should feel like your mates in the pub with you talking mm. through what's just happened. And that's not that I want to be, you know, necessarily in the pub drinking, although, you know, maybe <laughs> when I'm there, no. But you kind of want to make everybody feel like they are literally just part of your gang and you're all talking about F1 yeah. together. And I love that. It means that we probably have a slightly looser production than perhaps Mm -hmm. some others where we are joking around a lot. We're talking a lot to camera, to people there. We're talking about producer Joe back in the gallery, but it's kind of, (laughs) it's, it's our vibe. It's our, it's our way of doing it. And I, I just absolutely love it. Um, yeah, it's been an incredible year last season. Um, co-leading that one with Will, Will Buxton, and, um, I can't wait for 2024 with them as well. I'm so excited for you. I love that you said that because Thank I do you. think the authenticity does come through. So Thank you. Um, it does make sense. Well, before we wrap, we have a couple of quick fire questions that I'm going to ask okay. you. Um, are it. you ready for this? People get very nervous, I have to tell you, but you're going to do great. <laughs> Let's go. Let's do it. All right. Question number one, because you travel like, I don't know, 60, well, not 60, there's only 52 weeks of the year, but like 40 weeks <laughs> out of the year. What is your number one travel tip or travel essential? Um, I would say air tags are really important mm. <laughs> uh, because if you lose a like lose a suitcase and you are flying to a triple or you are in the middle of even a double header or even just flying out to a race, that will be. I mean, it's happened to me before and it was awful. So oh air tags are very important to make sure that you know exactly where your luggage is and that it's arriving to you. Um, I will say, in terms of a travel um tip I am a bit of a I don't know I'm a bit of a psychopath with this I unpack as soon as I get home Hmm. any time of day as soon as I'm home the case is open the washing machine is on it is done yeah because I just I can't even because sometimes you're literally like home for two days and gone again it's got to be, you've got to be disciplined. I've, you've yeah. got to be regimented. But I also can't like stand the thought of a suitcase just yeah. sitting around. I, it has to be done. It's got to be done. And then I think for long haul flying, some of the best things, eye mask, super important. Just you can't control the cabin light mm. a lot of the time and you need to obviously sleep at certain times and whatever else. Mm. So definitely that. Noise cancelling headphones are really important as well. Um, and then, you know, all the usuals with, with flying, I think jet lag wise, what I will also say is that, um, I know that all the trainers, um, Mm -hmm. and sort of anyone with any notion of performance degree, um, listening to this will laugh at me, but in terms of jet lag, I honestly find the best way is to go out and get a bit drunk on the first night. <laughs> go out and have some drinks and stay up later than you should. Yeah. Uh, slightly later. And you'll you'll sleep straight through the first night and you'll you'll beat jet lag. That's my number one tip is to go out and have a drink. I think that's the best tip that anybody could ever want. 
So I think that's great. I'm yeah, also kind of a psychopath in the same way. I don't like to see a suitcase in my room. Um, no, it really bothers me, but I'd never tell yeah, anybody yeah. this because everybody thinks it's exactly what you just said. Yeah, I think people are in one camp or the other. Yeah. Like it's a real divisive thing. Like yeah. my boyfriend is like, oh, I'll just do it in a few. I'm like, yeah. unpack that suitcase. I cannot, yeah. I can't cope with it. And he packs super last minute as well. He's like, oh, I'll just. Oh my God. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll pack. I'm leaving at 10, so I'll pack at nine. I'm like, mm anxious no no I pack like three days in advance yes yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right I'm glad that you feel the same way um oh God, okay yeah. question number two yes what has been I, I don't know if you had any but what has if you have what has been your biggest pinch me moment in in f1 yeah I mean I have them I on a really like cliched way cheesy way I have like every like every day I work in the sport I'm like I don't know how the hell I've managed to do this um so that's that's like a bit of a cop-out though I think um Silverstone 2022 I was also working as the stage presenter there Mm -hmm. and I remember I think it was someone like ridiculous like dead mouse was DJing and I was Mm -hmm. on stage like how am I meant to follow this and I was doing the driver (laughs) interviews and I looked I peeked out and you couldn't see a single piece of grass, space. I couldn't see where the crowd ended, just heads. And I walked out and the noise was like deafening. And I felt like it was like... (laughs) like a sports broadcaster's version of Glastonbury I was like what what is this This is it was by far the biggest crowd I've ever been in front of it was and it was a very vociferous noisy passionate crowd as well and I walked out and everyone screamed I was just like this is insane and then like obviously they're not there for me they're there for the drivers so when the drivers come out it was like I remember the Mercedes it was yeah Mercedes and McLaren was next level of insanity it was great it was amazing so I think for sure um that definitely was one of those moments where I was like this is ridiculous the adrenaline was like crazy and then um coming off the grid um in Abu Dhabi this year Mm. I'd done the whole season um pre-race show was done and I felt like it was like probably one of the best shows that yeah that I've personally been able to put out and, and we've produced and I just had this moment where I was like, oh my God, like, okay, the season wasn't quite done, but like I was on roaming reporter for the post. So it was my last, yeah. my last show as, as lead. And I was like, just suddenly was like really shaky and emotional. Um, and Will Buxton put his arm around me and was just so sweet. And like, we just had this moment. And that was one of those where I was like, I can't believe like I've got this season under my belt and, yeah. and you know, I've been part of this amazing team and yeah we're hopefully making stuff that people are enjoying and and we're loving what we're doing. I was just so grateful then in that moment and so, so happy and and proud to be part of it all. So yeah, they were the probably two moments that stand out for me. I love that. I don't want to cry. That was so sweet. (laughs) I cry all the time. (laughs) I I kind of get it though, because I do think F1 is one of those things or maybe any other sport. I, I don't really know that much about other sports, but I think with F1, it is one of those things that is just, you know, it kind of consumes you in a way where you're like, exactly. how am yeah. I doing this? And imposter syndrome yeah. is so real when it comes to that. Like I'm not, I'm not doing half of what you're doing right now, but when I go to races now and I'm trying to have more of like an on-track presence of females in motorsport, I'm always like, I literally didn't even watch F1 until two years ago. Like, why am I here? Do they know who they've invited? Like, should I even be here? You have absolute right to be there. Everyone <laughs> is. Yeah, it's a space for everybody. I think that's really yeah. like important. Um, and you're right. Like, I think when you're in the right industry and when you're within a sport or within um, a workplace and an environment that is right for you, that clicks, yeah. that feels good, then it does. It kind of consumes like every part of you. Um, yeah like live and breathe it completely and I think that's why it can feel so intense because it's not just nine to five when you leave it at home it's yeah. it's like something you love and enjoy like your hobby as well as your work and your career and it's mm. you it's every it's all of you like I leave everything yeah. out there when I'm you know doing presenting shows um and actually I think it was one of the drivers or uh, maybe one of the reserve drivers once said to me, oh, good luck ahead of the show. And I was like, oh, oh th- thanks. And he was like, well, yeah, like it's your performance. You're like, it's you, I'm performing and you're performing, you know, I'm going out there to drive and perform. Yeah. And so are you. And I was like, oh God, yeah. And it is, yeah. you know, but it is like that. It's 
we've we've got to hit a level and a standard yeah. and yeah I really enjoyed striving to that yeah. but you're right you have to give everything yeah absolutely and the last question is who is your favorite driver or team principal to interview so I don't have favorites because I am entirely a neutral non, non-biased and neutral mm. and a professional broadcaster <laughs> But <laughs> no, I, I really, really enjoy speaking to Alex Albon and then equally um, James Vowles as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I glean an enormous amount of information from them. I feel like each time I speak to them, I learn a huge amount. Speaking to James sometimes, he's so articulate. I feel mm-hmm. like in the last season, he has come into yes. this next level, like his own. And it's been amazing to see that progression for him. Mm-hmm. But also speaking to him, you can understand why. Like mm-hmm. he's just, um, he makes things, I think, super accessible for people. He explains situations. And I remember ta- him talking about where Williams had been and, um, talking about sort of righting the wrongs that they'd suffered and about putting them back where they should be. And this was pre-race. And I think we were all there like goosebumps, like a <laughs> stirring speech. I was like, oh my God, can he come and do like our pre, our yeah. pre-broadcast meeting? Like so inspiring, you know, the kind of stuff you'd see in a rugby World Cup final dressing room, you know, pre-match from the captain. It was like, oh, <laughs> like really, really amazing. I always really enjoy speaking to James. And then equally, I think Alex, has um once again grown as well certainly and gives you so much information and he's but in a in a kind of self-deprecating and very funny way (laughs) and I think Alex can only be himself which I think is an amazing thing um so you kind of like you get whatever you're gonna get and he often apologizes for saying too much (laughs) and I'm like not a problem we love it that's fine it's all good so Yeah. yeah look I I enjoy speaking to every driver mm-hmm. and team principal. Don't get me wrong. I yep. think in terms of like what I learn and what I can glean from them and um, how kind of articulate their interviews are and how well received they can be mm-hmm. from from you guys as well. I think those two, th- those two definitely stand out for me. Yeah, yeah. No, that totally makes sense. I thought I really thought you might say Fred Visser because I feel oh like. <laughs> Sorry, Fred. Because I oh, really no. do think you guys have a really interesting dynamic on camera. Or is that just me? Isn't it true? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was trying to be like, I'll be really intelligent and say, you know, <laughs> someone I learn from. Um, no, well, Fred and I, yeah, we, it is h- hilarious. Yeah. Like every interview, he just looks through this like glint in his eye. And I'm like, please behave <laughs> yourself, Fred, for this one. Um, it's great. No, I, the chemistry we have is amazing. And I don't take that for granted at all because, um, you know, I, you, I can get the information that we, we need from Fred. Yeah. Um, he's very, very good at that, but he's also very good at creating fun and mischief yeah. and, um, God speaking to him when Ferrari have done well is great. So yeah. <laughs> Fred as well. Okay, I, then I'm going to name them all. That's the thing. Okay, yeah, the more sensible one, the more serious one, James, and then Fred's. Yes, like, also. Yes, but they're, I'm sure they're all lovely. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Very non non biased and neutral, but yeah. um, but yeah, I think yeah, yeah, obviously some do stand out, and we've managed to get some good interviews with Fred along the way yeah. <laughs> for sure. I'm glad. Well, thank you so much, Laura, for joining me today on the thank show. You. It was so fun um, just to have you here. And honestly, I feel really honored you took the time out. I know your schedule is insane. So I really, really do appreciate it. And I'm sure all the listeners are really going to appreciate it as well. Oh, thank you so, so much for having me. It was a great interview. Um, and really loved it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.